Hello there, and welcome to tonight's episode of Down to Sleep. This is the podcast of softly spoken stories to help you get a good night's rest. And tonight, a reading of Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. Before we begin, I just wanted to remind you that the best place to listen to this podcast is the Patreon version at patreon.com slash down to sleep. It's a few dollars a month, you get at least two readings every single week, and you get access to 270 episodes so far. If you would like to come and join me there, I would love to have you join us. And also, if you'd like more free readings, Down to Sleep is also on YouTube, with two channels, Down to Sleep and Down to Sleep Extra. That's where you can get even more readings than you're hearing here, including a lot of readings with relaxing rain sounds in the background. Now, let's tuck you in, take a nice deep breath, and let's get down to sleep with Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. It was the white rabbit, trotting slowly back again and looking anxiously about as it went, as if it had lost something, and she heard it muttering to itself, The Duchess, the Duchess, oh my dear paws, oh my fur and whiskers, she'll get me executed, as sure as ferrets are ferrets. Where can I have dropped them, I wonder? Alice guessed in a moment that it was looking for the fan and the pair of white kid gloves, and she very good-naturedly began hunting about for them, but they were nowhere to be seen. Everything seemed to have changed since her swim in the pool, and the great hall with the glass table and the little door had vanished completely. Very soon the rabbit noticed Alice as she went hunting about and called out to her in an angry tone. Why, Mary Ann, what are you doing out here? Run home this moment and fetch me a pair of gloves and a fan. Quick now. And Alice was so much frightened that she ran off at once in the direction it pointed to, without trying to explain the mistake it had made. He took me for his housemaid, she said to herself as she ran. How surprised he'll be when he finds out who I am. But I'd better take him his fan and gloves, that is, if I can find them. As she said this, she came upon a neat little house, on the door of which was a bright brass plate with the name W. Rabbit engraved upon it. She went in without knocking, and hurried upstairs, in great fear lest she should meet the real Marianne, and be turned out of the house before she had found the fan and gloves. How queer it seems, Alice said to herself, to be going messages for a rabbit. I suppose Dinah will be sending me on messages next, and she began fancying the sort of thing that would happen. Miss Alice... Come here directly and get ready for your walk. Coming in a minute, nurse, but I've got to see that the mouse doesn't get out. Only, I don't think, Alice went on, that they'd let Dinah stop in the house if it began ordering people about like that. By this time she had found her way into a tidy little room with a table in the window. And on it, as she had hoped, a fan and two or three pairs of tiny white kid gloves. 
She took up the fan and a pair of the gloves and was just going to leave the room when her eye fell upon a little bottle that stood near the looking-glass. There was no label this time with the words drink me, but nevertheless she uncorked it and put it to her lips. I know something interesting is sure to happen, she said to herself, whenever I eat or drink anything, so I'll just see what this bottle does. I do hope it'll make me grow large again, for really I'm quite tired of being such a tiny little thing. It did so indeed, and much sooner than she had expected. Before she had drunk half the bottle, she found her head pressing against the ceiling, and had to stoop to save her neck from being broken. She hastily put down the bottle, saying to herself, That's quite enough. I hope I shan't grow any more. As it is, I can't get out the door. I do wish I hadn't drunk quite so much. Alas, it was too late to wish that. She went on growing and growing, and very soon had to kneel down on the floor. In another minute, there was not even room for this, and she tried the effect of lying down with one elbow against the door and the other arm curled round her head. Still she went on growing, and as a last resource she put one arm out the window and one foot up the chimney, and said to herself, Now I can do no more, whatever happens. What will become of me? Luckily for Alice, the little magic bottle had now had its full effect and she grew no larger. Still, it was very uncomfortable, and as there seemed to be no sort of chance of her ever getting out of the room again, no wonder she felt unhappy. It was much pleasanter at home, thought poor Alice, when one wasn't always growing larger and smaller, and being ordered about by mice and rabbits. I almost wish I hadn't gone down that rabbit hole. And yet... And yet it's rather curious, you know, this sort of life. I do wonder what can have happened to me. When I used to read fairy tales, I fancied that kind of thing never happened. And now here I am, in the middle of one. There ought to be a book written about me. That there ought. And when I grow up, I'll write one. But I'm grown up now, she added, in a sorrowful tone. At least there's no room to grow up any more here. But then, thought Alice, shall I ever get any older than I am now? That'll be a comfort, one way, never to be an old woman, but then always to have lessons to learn. Oh, I shouldn't like that. Oh, you foolish Alice, she answered herself. How can you learn lessons in here? Why, there's hardly any room for you, and no room at all for any lesson books. And so she went on, taking first one side and then the other, and making quite a conversation of it altogether. But after a few minutes, she heard a voice outside, and stopped to listen. Mary Ann, Mary Ann, said the voice, fetch me my gloves this moment. Then came a little pattering of feet on the stairs. Alice knew it was the rabbit coming to look for her, and she trembled 
till she shook the house, quite forgetting that she was now about a thousand times as large as the rabbit, and had no reason to be afraid of it. Presently the rabbit came up to the door and tried to open it, but as the door opened inwards and Alice's elbow was pressed hard against it, that attempt proved a failure. Alice heard it say to itself, "'Then I'll go around and get in at the window.' "'That you won't,' thought Alice. And after waiting till she fancied she heard the rabbit just under the window, she suddenly spread out her hand and made a snatch in the air. She did not get hold of anything, but she heard a little shriek and a fall and a crash of broken glass, from which she concluded that it was just possible it had fallen into a cucumber frame or something of the sort. Next came an angry voice, the rabbit's. Pat, Pat, where are you? And then a voice she had never heard before. Sure, then, I'm here, digging for apples, Your Honour. Digging for apples indeed, said the rabbit angrily. Here, come and help me get out of this. Sounds of more broken glass. Now tell me, Pat, what's that in the window? Sure, it's an arm, Your Honour. An arm, you goose. Who ever saw one that size? Why, it fills the whole window. Sure it does, Your Honour, but it's an arm, for all that. Well, it's got no business there, at any rate. Go and take it away. There was a long silence after this, and Alice could only hear whispers now and then, such as, Sure, I don't like it, Your Honour, at all, at all. Do as I tell you, you coward. And at last she spread out her hand again and made another snatch in the air. This time there were two little shrieks, and more sounds of broken glass. What a number of cucumber frames there must be, thought Alice. I wonder what they'll do next. As for pulling me out of the window, I only wish they could. I'm sure I don't want to be here any longer. She waited for some time without hearing anything more. At last came a rumbling of little cartwheels and the sound of a good many voices, all talking together. She made out the words, Where's the other ladder? Why, I hadn't had to bring but one. Bill's got the other. Bill, fetch it here, lad. Here, put em up at this corner. No, tie em together first. They don't reach half high enough yet. Oh, they'll do well enough. Don't be particular. Here, Bill, catch hold of this rope. Will the roof bear? Mind that loose slate. Oh, it's coming down, heads below. A loud crash. Now who did that? It was Bill, I fancy. Who's to go down the chimney? Nay, I shan't. You do it. That I won't, then. Bill's to go down. Here, Bill. The master says you're to go down the chimney. Oh, so Bill's got to come down the chimney, has he? said Alice to herself. Shy. They seem to put everything upon Bill. I wouldn't be in Bill's place for a good deal. This fireplace is narrow, to be sure. 
but I think I can kick a little. She drew her foot as far down the chimney as she could, and waited till she heard a little animal. She couldn't guess of what sort it was, scratching and scrambling about in the chimney close above her, and saying to herself, This is Bill. She gave one sharp kick, and waited to see what would happen next. The first thing she heard was a general chorus of, There goes Bill. Then the rabbit's voice along, Catch him, you by the hedge. Then silence. And then another confusion of voices. Hold up his head. Brandy now. Don't choke him. How was it, old fellow? What happened to you? Tell us all about it. Last came a little, feeble, squeaking voice. That's Bill, thought Alice. Well, I hardly know. No more, thank you. I'm better now. But I'm a deal too flustered to tell you. All I know is something comes at me like a jack-in-the-box, and up I goes like a skyrocket. So you did, old fellow, said the others. We must burn the house down, said the rabbit's voice, and Alice called out as loud as she could, If you do, I'll set Dinah on you. There was a dead silence instantly, and Alice thought to herself, I wonder what they will do next. If they had any sense, they'd take the roof off. After a minute or two, they began moving about again, and Alice heard the rabbit say, a barrow full will do, to begin with. A barrow full of what, thought Alice, but she had not long to doubt, for the next moment a shower of little pebbles came rattling in at the window, and some of them hit her in the face. I'll put a stop to this, she said to herself, and shouted out, You'd better not do that again, which produced another dead silence. Alice noted, with some surprise, that the pebbles were all turning into little cakes as they lay on the floor, and a bright idea came into her head. If I eat one of these cakes, she thought, it's sure to make some change in my size, and as it can't possibly make me any larger, it must make me smaller, I suppose. So she swallowed one of the cakes and was delighted to find that she began shrinking directly. As soon as she was small enough to get through the door, she ran out of the house, and found quite a crowd of little animals and birds waiting outside. The poor little lizard, Bill, was in the middle, being held up by two guinea pigs, who were giving it something out of a bottle. They all made a rush at Alice the moment she appeared, but she ran off as hard as she could, and soon found herself in a thick wood. The first thing I've got to do, said Alice to herself, as she wandered about in the wood, is to grow to my right size again, and the second thing is to find my way into that lovely garden.' 
I think that will be the best plan. It sounded an excellent plan, no doubt, and very neatly and simply arranged. The only difficulty was she had not the smallest idea how to set about it, and while she was peering about anxiously among the trees, a little sharp bark just over her head made her look up in a great hurry. An enormous puppy was looking down at her with large round eyes, and feebly stretching out one paw trying to touch her. "'Poor little thing,' said Alice in a coaxing tone, and she tried hard to whistle to it. But she was terribly frightened all the time at the thought that it might be hungry, in which case it would be very likely to eat her up in spite of all her coaxing. Hardly knowing what she did, she picked up a little bit of stick and held it out to the puppy, whereupon the puppy jumped into the air off all its feet at once with a yelp of delight, and rushed at the stick and made believe to worry it. Then Alice dodged behind a great thistle to keep herself from being run over. And the moment she appeared on the other side, the puppy made another rush at the stick, and tumbled, head over heels, in its hurry to get hold of it. Then Alice, thinking it was very like having a game of play with a cart horse, and expecting every moment to be trampled under its feet, ran round the thistle again. Then the puppy began a series of short charges at the stick, running a very little way forwards each time, and a long way back, and barking hoarsely all the while, till at last it sat down a good way off, panting, with its tongue hanging out of its mouth, and its great eyes half shut. This seemed to Alice a good opportunity for making her escape, so she set off at once, and ran till she was quite tired and out of breath, till the puppy's bark sounded quite faint in the distance. And yet what a dear little puppy it was, said Alice as she leant against a buttercup to rest herself, and fanned herself with one of the leaves. I should have liked teaching it tricks very much, if, if I'd only been the right size to do it. Oh dear, I'd nearly forgotten that I've got to grow up again. Let me see. How is it to be managed? I suppose I ought to eat or drink something or other. But the great question is, what? The great question certainly was, what? Alice looked all round her at the flowers and the blades of grass but she did not see anything that looked like the right thing to eat or drink under the circumstances. There was a large mushroom growing near her, about the same height as herself, and when she had looked under it, and on both sides of it, and behind it, it occurred to her that she might as well look and see what was on top of it.
she stretched herself up on tiptoe and peeped over the edge of the mushroom, and her eyes immediately met those of a large caterpillar that was sitting on the top with its arms folded, quietly smoking a long hookah and taking not the smallest notice of her or of anything else. The caterpillar and Alice looked at each other for some time in silence. At last the caterpillar took the hooker out of its mouth and addressed her in a languid, sleepy voice. Who are you? said the caterpillar. This was not an encouraging opening for a conversation. Alice replied rather shyly, I, I hardly know, sir, just at present. At least, I know who I was when I got up this morning, but I think I must have changed several times since then. What do you mean by that? said the caterpillar sternly. Explain yourself. I can't explain myself, I'm afraid, sir, said Alice, because I'm not myself, you see. I don't see, said the caterpillar. I'm afraid I can't put it more clearly, Alice replied, very politely, for I can't understand it myself to begin with and with being so many different sizes in a day, it's very confusing. It isn't, said the caterpillar. Well, perhaps you haven't found it so yet, said Alice. But when you have to turn into a chrysalis, you will some day, you know. And then after that into a butterfly. I should think you'll feel a little queer, won't you? Not... A bit, said the caterpillar. Well, perhaps your feelings may be different, said Alice. All I know is it would feel very queer to me. You, said the caterpillar contemptuously. Who are you? Which brought them back again to the beginning of the conversation. Alice felt a little irritated at the caterpillar, making such very short remarks, and she drew herself up and said very gravely, "'I think you ought to tell me who you are first. "'Why?' said the caterpillar. Here was another puzzling question. And as Alice could not think of any good reason, and as the caterpillar seemed to be in a very unpleasant state of mind, she turned away. "'Come back,' the caterpillar called after her. "'I've something important to say.' This sounded promising, certainly. Alice turned and came back again. "'Keep your temper,' said the caterpillar. "'Is that all?' said Alice swallowing down her anger as well as she could. No, said the caterpillar. 
Alice thought she might as well wait as she had nothing else to do, and perhaps after all that might tell her something worth hearing. For some minutes it puffed away without speaking, but at last it unfolded its arms, took the hooker out of its mouth again, and said, So, you think you're changed, do you? I'm afraid I am, sir, said Alice. I can't remember things as I used, and I don't keep the same size for ten minutes together. Can't remember what things, said the caterpillar. Well, I've tried to say, how doth the little busy bee, but it all came different, Alice replied in a very melancholy voice. Repeat. You are old, Father William, said the caterpillar. Alice folded her hands and began. You are old, Father William, the young man said, and your hair has become very white, and yet you incessantly stand on your head. Do you think at your age it is right? In my youth, Father William replied to his son, I feared it might injure the brain. But now that I'm perfectly sure I have none, why I do it again and again. You are old, said the youth, as I mentioned before, and have grown most uncommonly fat. Yet you turned a back somersault in at the door. Pray, what is the reason of that? In my youth, said the sage, as he shook his grey locks, I kept all my limbs very supple. By the use of this ointment, one shilling the box, allow me to sell you a couple. You are old, said the youth, and your jaws are too weak for anything tougher than suet. Yet you finished the goose with the bones and the beak. Pray, how did you manage to do it? In my youth, said his father, I took to the law, and argued each case with my wife, and the muscular strength which it gave to my jaw has lasted the rest of my life. You are old, said the youth, one would hardly suppose that your eye was as steady as ever yet you balanced an eel on the end of your nose. What made you so awfully clever? I have answered three questions, and that is enough, said his father. Don't give yourself airs. Do you think I can listen all day to such stuff? Be off, or I'll kick you downstairs. That is not said right, said the caterpillar. Not quite right, I'm afraid, said Alice timidly. Some of the words got altered. It is wrong from beginning to end, said the caterpillar decidedly. And there was silence for some minutes. The caterpillar was the first to speak. What size do you want to be? it asked. "'Oh, I'm not particular as to size,' Alice hastily replied. 
only one doesn't like changing so often, you know. I don't know, said the caterpillar. Alice said nothing. She had never been so much contradicted in her life before, and she felt that she was losing her temper. Are you content now? said the caterpillar. Well, I should like to be a little larger, sir, if you wouldn't mind, said Alice. Three inches is such a wretched height to be. It is a very good height indeed, said the caterpillar angrily, rearing itself upright as it spoke. It was exactly three inches high. But I'm not used to it, pleaded poor Alice in a piteous tone. And she thought of herself. I wish the creatures wouldn't be so easily offended. You'll get used to it in time, said the caterpillar. And it put the hooker into its mouth and began smoking again. This time, Alice waited patiently until it chose to speak again. In a minute or two, the caterpillar took the hooker out of its mouth and yawned once or twice and shook itself. Then it got down off the mushroom and crawled away in the grass, merely remarking as it went, One side will make you grow taller, and the other side will make you grow shorter. One side of what? The other side of what? thought Alice to herself. Of the mushroom, said the caterpillar, just as if she had asked it aloud. And in another moment it was out of sight. Alice remained looking thoughtfully at the mushroom for a minute, trying to make out which were the two sides of it and as it was perfectly round, she found this a very difficult question. However, at last she stretched her arms round it as far as they would go and broke a bit off the edge with each hand. And now, which is which? she said to herself, and nibbled a little of the right-hand bit to try the effect. The next moment she felt a violent blow underneath her chin. It had struck her foot. She was a good deal frightened by this very sudden change. But she felt there was no time to be lost, as she was shrinking rapidly. So she set to work at once to eat some of the other bit. Her chin was pressed so closely against the floor, but she did it at last and managed to swallow a morsel of the left-hand bit. "'Come, my head's free at last,' said Alice in a tone of delight, which changed into alarm in another moment, when she found her shoulders were nowhere to be found. All she could see, when she looked down, was an immense length of neck, which seemed to rise like a stalk out of a sea of green leaves that lay far below her. Can all that green stuff be? said Alice. And where have my shoulders got to? And oh, my poor hands, how is it I can't see you? 
She was moving them about as she spoke, but no result seemed to follow, except a little shaking among the distant green leaves. As there seemed to be no chance of getting her hands up to her head, she tried to get her head down to them, and was delighted to find that her neck would bend about easily in any direction, like a serpent. She had just succeeded in curving it down into a graceful zigzag and was going to dive in among the leaves, which she found to be nothing but the tops of the trees under which she had been wandering, when a sharp hiss made her draw back in a hurry. A large pigeon had flown into her face and was beating her violently with its wings. "'Serpent!' screamed the pigeon. "'I'm not a serpent,' said Alice indignantly. "'Let me alone.' "'Serpent, I say again,' repeated the pigeon, but in a more subdued tone, and added with a kind of sob, "'I've tried every way.' and nothing seems to suit them. I haven't the least idea what you're talking about, said Alice. I've tried the roots of trees, and I've tried banks, and I've tried hedges, the pigeon went on, without attending to her. But those serpents, there's no pleasing them. Alice was more and more puzzled, but she thought there was no use in saying anything more till the pigeon had finished. "'As if it wasn't trouble enough hatching the eggs,' said the pigeon. "'But I must be on the lookout for serpents, night and day. Why, I haven't had a wink of sleep these three weeks.' "'I'm very sorry you've been annoyed,' said Alice, who was beginning to see its meaning. "'And just as I'd taken the highest tree in the wood, continued the pigeon, raising its voice to a shriek, and just as I was thinking I should be free of them at last, they must needs come wriggling down from the sky. A serpent! But I'm not a serpent, I tell you, said Alice. I'm a... I'm a... Well, what... "'Are you?' said the pigeon. "'I can see you're trying to invent something.' "'I'm a little girl,' said Alice, rather doubtfully, as she remembered the number of changes she had gone through that day. "'A likely story, indeed,' said the pigeon in a tone of the deepest contempt. "'I've seen a good many little girls in my time.' but never one with such a neck as that. No, no, you're a serpent, and there's no use denying it. I suppose you'll be telling me next that you've never tasted an egg. I have tasted eggs, certainly, said Alice, who was a very truthful child. But little girls eat eggs quite as much as serpents do, you know. I don't believe that, said the pigeon. But if they do... Why, then, they're kind of a serpent, that's all I can say. This was such a new idea to Alice that she was quite silent for a minute or two, which gave the pigeon the opportunity of adding, 
You're looking for eggs, I know that well enough. And what does it matter to me whether you're a little girl or a serpent? It matters a good deal to me, said Alice hastily. But I'm not looking for eggs, as it happens. And if I was, I shouldn't want yours. I don't like them raw. Well, be off, then, said the pigeon in a sulky tone, as it settled down again into its nest. Alice crouched down among the trees as well as she could, for her neck kept getting entangled among the branches. And every now and then she had to stop and untwist it. After a while she remembered that she still held the pieces of mushroom in her hands, and she set to work very carefully, nibbling first at one and then at the other, and growing sometimes taller and sometimes shorter, until she had succeeded in bringing herself down to her usual height. It was so long since she had been anything near the right size that it felt quite strange at first, but she got used to it in a few minutes, and began talking to herself as usual. Come, there's half my plan done now. How puzzling all these changes are. I'm never sure what I'm going to be, from one minute to another. However, I've got back to my right size. The next thing is to get into that beautiful garden. How's that to be done, I wonder? As she said this, she came suddenly upon an open place, with a little house about four feet high. Whoever lives here, thought Alice, it'll never do to come upon them this size. Why, I should frighten them out of their wits. So she began nibbling at the right-hand bit again, and did not venture to go near the house till she had brought herself down to nine inches high. And that is where we close the book tonight, on this episode of Down to Sleep, as that is the end of that chapter for Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Thank you for joining me. I hope that this has helped relax you, that you've enjoyed the story, and it's got you down to sleep tonight. Until next time, thank you, and good night.